Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as we continue on a little bit, this is kind of a part two from last week, though this one is titled Receptivity to the Kingdom of God in Luke chapter 8. As you're turning, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to plan a wedding or a birthday or an anniversary or a graduation party? Anyone ever have to do any of those things? Yeah, every day. So you're going to understand this. And I did think of you, by the way, when I did this. So I had to make sure I, I watched myself. But you spend time securing the date, the place, and all the particulars to make it a special day as you can. You send out the invitations to family, friends, and acquaintances, ask them to save the date and to get a handle on how many to expect for this special event. However, as that date approaches, not many people are responding back. Don't you just hate that? We're guilty of that ourselves. Though some mark that they are interested, maybe excited and even interested or anticipating, yet when that big day arrives, approaches, many of them never even show up without a word. It's frustrating, isn't it? All that work, all that planning. I don't envy people that do this for a living. This is where I thought of you, Lydia marketing, advertising, anything within that business where you have to rely on someone else or the response of someone else. That's difficult. Many times it doesn't matter how attractive the event is, it sounds, how attractive you make it, or how you even target the event specifically to an audience you're trying to reach, they will still not respond. And it baffles the mind. Well, the same questions apply when it comes to the call to repentance that we sung about here earlier this morning. With an invitation to join the family of God and become a citizen of the kingdom of God, we, we, we put this call forth, we put this invitation forth, yet it seems that most people tune out the good news that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. Or they accept it and they go through the motions of confession, repentance, baptism, and maybe even through membership and being involved in church. But after a while, they drift away. You know that. I wonder what happened to so-and-so. I wonder where they are. They seem so on fire. They seem so committed. This is also the dilemma for pastors and elders and Christians as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission with the heart of the Great Commandment. We give that call, but yet it doesn't seem that we see any fruits, that people are not coming to Christ. We have good news, but yet it's rejected, denied, deflated, deflected. Today, though, Jesus will give us some insight of why that happens as even Jesus experienced this phenomenon. As we saw last week, Jesus has adopted a new teaching style in which he'll begin to use parable, teaching using parables. Now, again, parables as a matter of review are just simple stories and illustrations taken from everyday life that typically taught a, 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 a single point. They contain spiritual truths. They're found in ordinary stories. They could be a profound or obscure saying or maybe an illustrative comparison. The kingdom of God is like. The key to understanding the parables lies in discovering the original audience of, what, of who it was given to or targeted to or who it was spoken to. Luke's narrative as we go through Luke is very rich in parables. We're going to look at many parables as we continue in Luke. And last, par- last week's parable is about the kingdom of God and those who will respond to the invitation to come, to join, to repent. Parables are used to teach a spiritual truth many times that people cannot perceive. One function of a parable we learned last week was to not only reveal truth to those that could understand, but also to conceal it, to hide it by presenting it in a veiled way, in such a way that they just don't get it. They cannot see it, understand it. The parables both reveal and hide truth. 
Parables either harden the heart or enlighten the heart. And you'll see this. Many people will come to Christ and say, oh, be merciful to me. While others will harden their hearts when they perceive that the parables were about them speaking of the Pharisees particularly. Most people will fail to see and hear and that will lead them to, or will fail to see and hear and lead them to obedience. One theologian remarks about the crowd was that as they heard Jesus' teaching, the problem wasn't that they didn't understand what Jesus was teaching, but by letting the parables alter their behavior. In other words, they rejected his word because they misunderstood or they just out and outright rejected what Jesus was teaching. We looked at why they are effective. They are effective because they make the truth concrete. It's meaningful. We can understand it. It makes it portable. It's universal. It, it goes throughout all generations. It's interesting. It's story driven. We love stories. They also make the truth personally discoverable through the spirit allows us to understand. So in a nutshell, we learn that truth is only available to people who believe and are taught by God through the Holy Spirit. And while the rejection of Jesus means the decreasing darkness of unbelief will harden the heart. Last week, Jesus taught them a parable using the imagery of a farmer planting seeds. So look with me again at Luke chapter 8, verse 5. As Jesus began to teach him a parable, I want to look at that once again because we just went through it quickly last week. Jesus taught this parable. He says, a sower, this is a farmer, went out to sow his seed to scatter it around. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underneath and the birds of the air devoured it. That, that makes sense. You could picture that right now in your mind. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And after telling them this parable, Luke notes that the disciples themselves did not understand. And they asked Jesus what it meant. And to you and I, if Jesus doesn't explain it, it's like, okay, we notice this. I can tell you what, all this planning that we just did, all four things are happening right over here. As I look out my window, we continually deal with it. Jesus points out that the only true disciples of Jesus would be recipients of the secrets of the kingdom of God. How one becomes a citizen, what the kingdom of God is like. And to hammer this truth into their minds and into their hearts, Jesus explains what the parable means in verse 11. So with that, it's here in the monitor, Luke chapter 8. Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, let me give them to you. I don't care what your age is. Grab a Bible, have one that has your name in it, one that you can write in, you can color in, you can highlight. Get, let me get you one. Here we go, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard the word of God, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they, they may not believe and be saved. So these are those who just out one out reject the word of God. And the ones in verse 13 on the rocks are those who when they hear the word, the word they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And as for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. But verse 15 is for that in the good soil, they are those who hear, hearing the word, hold it fast in a good, honest heart and bear fruit with patience. So Father, that's the heart that we want. That's the soil that we desire. And I pray here, Father, that as we speak this morning, whether they're here personally or they're watching me on Facebook or the internet or some other time, Lord, that it's being prepared, their soil of their heart to this morning, that they may hear the words of God. And Father, that your Holy Spirit will begin to work and may the seed grow deep and may it permeate the heart and may it grow from the moisture of the Spirit as you cause all things to grow. Lord, we thank you for these truths. Father, one day we will stand before you and give an account of this time. And may we be found faithful, 
for this next 40, 45 minutes. Lord, to your glory and for our good, we pray. Amen. Now, as you see this, all four of them did the same thing. They heard the word of God. I I hope you noticed that. All four heard the word of God. Now, the focus here is not on the sower who is not identified. We don't know who this is. Nor is it on the seed, which is the same word in all four instances. It is the same seed, but it's on the soil. So the parable of the sower is not a really good name for this. And many times in our Bibles, that's the title you may have on it. The parable of the soils is a better name for it. The same seed produces no crop. It produces some crop or much crop according to the character of the soil. Now, it's important to recognize that each heard the word. The seed is the word of God. Jesus tells us that. It's the gospel. It's the good news that is to be spread around the world. The sower or the farmer is likened to a good evangelist who indiscriminately spreads the good news of the gospel to any and to all who will hear him. He doesn't care who is listening, who is around him. He is just sharing the good news. He is just spreading it out as this farmer just goes, not looking at the ground, not caring what the ground is like. But he says, I'm just going to sow because I don't know where it's going to reap. The evangelist is compelled by his love and his gratitude for being redeemed and being reconciled to God. Think of Mary Magdalene that we spoke about earlier and the others who were recipients of God's blessings. So they're driven by love and gratitude for being redeemed and being reconciled to God. And he happily shares the power of his transformed life. He is also aware of the wrath of God and is committed to pleading for the souls of men. We need, to, we need both of those. You and I need to, to share the gospel, not only because of our love and our, and, and our joy for being recipients, but we need to recognize that there are others who are under the judgment of God. He embodies this promise that's found in Psalms chapter 126. Where the psalmist says in verse 5, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. It's given a thing that many times going out and doing the hard work of a farmer is difficult. He may be ill, he may be sick, but yet he must go out and do the difficult work. Because if you do not, you will not bring anything in. There was no government handouts and bailouts. At the, there was no stimulus checks. There was no poverty program. There's no, and I'm not belittling any of those at this moment. That, that's not the, the, the focus of what I'm sharing here. But in the same way, you and I must go out, even when it's difficult, and share the gospel. Many times with people that we know may not accept it. I pray you're that type of evangelist. You're that type of citizen the kingdom of God, a son of God, who willingly with love and joy shares the gospel. Not only because you received it, but you should also know that divine judgment awaits all those. It is appointed on a man once to die, then after this, the judgment. Our good news to many will not be good news, but we must share it nevertheless. Now, this parable also has nothing to do with the method of how he, sh- he sows the seed, how he talks. It's not about the method. Some people take it well. See, so we need to do something about how we do it. We need, we need fog machines. I've been trying to talk to the guys, and since we have this balcony up here, is putting some type of zip line so I can come sh- throwing down here as music comes up. You know, kind of like Elvis, you know, with that, that the theme of Odyssey. That's or this, you know, maybe I should come up from the pulpit, you know. But it's not about the method. The world today, in many churches, unfortunately, they're all about the method. they got to figure out how to throw the seed better. That's not what it's about. It doesn't matter if you're just sitting at a coffee table or a kitchen table with a relative or with a friend, or if you're passing out a track at Starbucks or through the drive-thru, or if you're on the beach on the pier uh, asking them about the laws and whether or not they've ever sinned. It's about sharing the gospel. So the method is not in play here, nor is the quality of the seed. Even the weather is not an issue. The seed is the word of God. 
And you and I must understand that the word of God is powerful and life transforming. It doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter which version of the scripture you're using. As long as it's a good translation. Don't use a, don't use a corrupt translation. If you have a question about that, see, uh, see Landon. He'll tell you all about that. But we need to share the gospel. You could share the gospel by using the book of Leviticus. But the word of God is powerful and life transforming. The writer of Hebrew proclaims, you see here on the monitor, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of marrow. This is a sword that is quick, that will cut to the bone, and it discerns the thoughts and attentions of the heart. It gets right to the matter of things. The word of God is powerful and life transforming. It is dangerous. You cannot truly be exposed to the word of God and walk away untouched. You will one day be held accountable for how you received my teaching, Randy's preaching, Landon's, and others. The Apostle Paul informs us that the word of God is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to be a good, productive citizen. Is that what we're trying to do with our children? That's what I like about uh, the new uh, charter school that the Brandon's been sending, Brandon Page has been sending Landon to. They're trying to produce more than just repetitive teaching, but they want to produce good citizens, productive citizens. That used to be something that we wanted to do, that we thought that was a value. In the same way, you're to be a productive, good citizen of the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, we have too many that are not productive. They're not fruitful. They're not good citizens of the kingdom of God. They just wanted their entrance card so they can kind of walk around the edges and look around and say, look, I belong. But yet they're not part of it. Now, the soil is the focus of this parable, and it is a picture of the human heart. So you must get that in your mind. What he's talking about is when he's talking about the soil, he's talking about the heart. Now, Pastor John MacArthur notes that the one factor that differentiates between an abundant harvest and the hard, dry, desolate, barrenness of the wayside ground is simply and only the condition of the heart. It's the condition of the heart that determines whether it will grow a hundredfold or whether it will be barren, barren or dry. Now, Jesus always centers his teaching around the heart. You've probably noticed that as we preach and taught around here. It's always about the heart. He is not a behavioral scientist. He's not a self-improvement guru. He is not a self-appeasement motivator. He is the savior of the world, and he has been sent to strike at the heart of lost sinners. He has an arrow, and he's pointing it right at your heart. And he's wanting something to be changed, to be done. The reason Jesus and the scriptures attack the heart and not behavior, which you and I usually consider and think of. But the reason why the scripture attacks the heart and not behavior is found in Jeremiah 17, 9, where we read through the King James Version that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I love that question. Who can know it? I think any mother of any child above two can know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Amen? Amen. Put them down for a nap. Put them down for a bed. Tell them no. The heart is desperately wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked. I think the ESV says it's sick. It is. It's It's fallen. So what Jesus here is teaching is that there are four kinds of receptivity. Four kinds of receptivity. In other words, four ways in which the soul receives the word of God. And I'm going to look at that this morning. The first kind is the hardened soul. That rocky path. This is the dead and defensive heart that is not receptive to the word. 
It's hardened and it's dead. It refers to those well-beaten footpaths. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about. When he throws, he's talking about the farmer throwing. There's paths along fields that would separate the people's fields. So he's talking about the walking path. This is people are walking all the time. It's too hardened. Its soil cannot receive any seed. If it does, the birds just come. The Old Testament referred to this type of heart as belonging to those who were not only rebellious, but it uses the word stiff-necked. You are rebellious and stiff-necked people. You think of that? You know any stiff-necked people? It doesn't matter how much you give them advice, how much you tell them something, they just will not receive it. Their neck is just their stiff-necked. Scripture tells us, you'll see it here on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we looked at it last week. This is a verse that you need to have underlined in your Bible or highlighted. This is something you actually should memorize. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Who is the natural person? Everyone born. For they are folly, they are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why Ephesians, Paul tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We have an inability from birth in our nature to understand the things of God. We may understand facts of God. We may be able to read and say, okay, here are some things that God wants us to know, but yet they don't truly spiritually discern them. They don't understand them and apply them to their lives. Titus tells us, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray by our various passions. That is our default position. Just as the hardened dirt path rejects any seed from finding any type of purchase, the heart refuses to let the word of God penetrate its hardened surface. So was once you and I. And just as the birds come and feed on the seed, so does Satan come and take away the word of God through inattentiveness, through distractions, through taking offense at the message that I'm sharing with you right now or deflecting its truth saying, well, that's not me. Let's not be that hardened soul, that defensive heart. The second kind is the rocky soil. That's the soul, the soil that is shallow due to a rock bed that is under the field's surface that's covered by a shallow layer of good soil on top. At first, the farmers say, oh, this, this is deep. Maybe it's finger deep. Maybe it goes a little bit lower. But as he puts the seed in there, he doesn't realize that there is some dirt underneath there. Now, we've done this many times around here. We'll go digging in dirt and saying, why isn't it growing? And we dig a little farther and we find cement underneath there. Or limestone, especially out here, you know, there's, there's some type of rock. Well, it goes down a little bit. It looks like it's going to grow, but yet it may grow just a tad, but it cannot go any further. This is the type of heart that is impulsive. And it first shows a keen interest in the things of God. They're even exhilarated by the message and they're receptive and affirmative and enthusiastic, but their joy is only temporarily. They may look like you. They may be here this morning singing a song, saying amen. They're, they're out there enjoying. They're around saying Jesus all the time. But yet, all of a sudden, they're gone. They disappear. This person is agreeable to the word of God. But since the word of God has never taken root in his heart so that it actually may transform him. He just likes the things of God. He's learning more about the things of God, but yet it's not really transforming his life. He has no strength to retain what he's heard. He's, those, he's that, that person that is always uh, seeking to understand, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. When problems and persecution comes, when suffering happens, they quickly fall away and say, well, this is too much for me. I'm not in this for the long haul. Fortunately, we see this in marriages, right? Oh, I love you, you love me. But yet quickly, divorce comes when persecution or suffering happens. And I think that's what's happening today in our church. It's been happening forever. But I think you're seeing this accelerate where many people are leaving the church, leaving Christendom, leaving their faith. Every day I'm finding and hearing about people who are, this, this is the word, 
deconstructing their faith from Joshua Harris to uh, the, one of the, a couple other songwriters and, and others. They're deconstructing their faith. They're no longer Christians. Why? Because they really weren't Christians in the begin with. As soon as a little problem came, they, they bailed. Jesus warns his disciples that they are to expect persecution and opposition. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus tells them, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it's hated you. The reason why James Coates, Pastor James Coates, is in prison in Canada today for preaching the gospel is not because he doesn't want to uh, uh, adhere to the COVID restriction policies up there in the health guidelines. It's because they hate Jesus. I know that's a bold statement, but that's what Jesus is saying. I, I can't see it any more clear. This is Jesus saying it, not Rob. When people are rejecting the good news from you, they are not rejecting you, though it seems like it, and it's very difficult. Who they are rejecting is Jesus, the very creator. How ironic. J.C. Rao warns his congregation, you'll see this on the monitor. He says there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which may have many thinking that they have enough. It's a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. I pray, my friends, that this is not the Christianity that you have. But you and I must be warned, it may be. That is the question that comes at the end of this message. What type of soil do you have? If the word of God does not take root in your life so that it transforms and restructures your mind, the way you think, the way that you use your resources, then you will find it difficult to continue affirming and obeying what you have heard when people and circumstances test your stance. And people, if the Equality Act becomes law, you and I will face this within the next uh, two to five years, guaranteed. If you do not know what that law is, then as they like to say, educate yourself. Google it. Find out. Ask me. I'll give you some good resources of what that is. It sounds good, but it will cause many to fall away. It already has. Now, this is quite a common problem. Many people appear to be excited about the teachings of scriptures, but their commitment often fails to withstand even the smallest of tests. Those who are like, who are like this will quickly fall away. John writes in John cha- uh, 1 John chapter 2 that they went out from us, speaking of some disciples, some people that were followers of his. They left the church, but he says they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So you and I must recognize that the second kind of rocky soil is the shallow, the shallow heart. Thirdly, the third kind of soil is the one that's infested with weeds and thorns. They will suck up the soil's moisture. They will drain out the nutrients They will block the sunlight from the crops and they will choke the life out of everything growing in the field that might be beneficial. Now this reflects the distracted heart that is too enthralled or too preoccupied with worldly manners. And I think again, this is another type of heart that is filling up churches today. The preoccupied heart with worldly matters. One theologian writes that the one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life, taking care of his family, making his retirement, uh, uh, taking care of children, so on and so forth, and the deceitfulness of wealth, thinking that that will solve their problems, choke the word of God, making it unfruitful in their lives. If you allow the things of this world to dominate your thinking, you will be spiritually unfaithful or unfaithful. And I tell you, even myself, I think of how much TV I watch, how much music of the world I might listen to, how much other uh, Twitter things that I read about political things, how much of this world do I think about? How much does my mind dwell on things that will be burned away at the end rather than the things that are eternal? 
As Jesus said elsewhere, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise. You cannot serve both God and money and myself. I struggle with that. But yet God has supplied all my riches, right? Or all my needs. I'm not rich by any means. Please mark that down. He goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. I'm afraid many of our heart is firmly rooted in this world. I want to challenge you. What does your mind dwell on during those unguarded moments? You may claim to agree with the words of Jesus that a man's life does not contest in the abundance of possessions. But do you really believe this? Paul writes, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Psalms 19 reminds us that the fear of God and the word of God are more precious than gold, more, much more than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. They are honey from the comb. Yet many professing Christians are still focused on seeking wealth, influence, pleasures, entertainment, and comfort. Rather than the knowledge about God. Because they do not really believe that the fear of God and the word of God are worth more than gold. I would say there's times that I'm guilty of that myself. On the other hand, scripture testifies that the only knowledge about God is a worthy end. This is very easily illustrated for you and I in the rich young ruler of Matthew chapter 19. In verse 22, he comes to Jesus and he wants to know how he can inherit eternal life. And you know this story. And they batter about and, and, and the man answers Jesus' question, well, what are the great commandments? What does the law tell you to do? He goes, well, you've answered rightly. But Jesus concluded their, their conversation by saying, you see here on the monitor, if you would be perfect, that means being one of God's children, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He says, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. That's his command. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had what? Great possessions. The word of God, the word of Jesus will go straight to the heart. And he knew what was, what was, what was filling this man's heart. Now, he is not telling us to sell all and go be poor. But he's telling us he's going to go straight to the heart. For you, it could be your retirement, it could be your children, it could be your pleasure, it could be your, your downtime. And you could tell when you could tell what it is you hold dear is when you get frustrated or angry when someone interrupts you or demands more of that time back. There's your idol. Let it not be so. Remember what Paul said? He says, I thought I was a good, zealous Christian as far as to the law, but then I recognized about covetousness. I got to the ninth one, and all of a sudden I realized, man, I'm in trouble. All sin, by the way, starts at the root of covetousness. We want what we do not have. James tells us the same thing in a different way. It also demonstrated in 2 Timothy 4.10, when Paul tells Timothy that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He loved the world so much and all that the world had to offer that he says, I'd rather have it than anything that God may offer. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the prior life are not of the Father, but of the world. There's a warning this type of heart belongs to those that focus on this life instead of the life to come, neglecting the warnings of 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, We've brought, we, we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing, anything out of the world. Naked we came in, naked we'll come out. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Think of Matthew 6, 25 through 33. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They hear the word of God, but yet the things of this world are too important and they counted the cost and they believe that Jesus is not enough. 
And you say, well, I don't believe that, but let me ask you, what does your life say? What does your day timer say? That's a thing where you used to measure out your time, your energy. What are you doing? And what does your checkbook say? Your balance sheet. What are you spending your time, your mind, your energy, your aspirations? The fourth kind is the good soil. This reflects the receptive heart, the fruitful heart, with a true understanding of the good news and displays a genuine faith through loving and serving God and others. Though they are those who follow Jesus' command in John chapter 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. You need to be set free from the cares of this world, set free from the, from, from, the, from the suffering and the persecution that bear you down. It's also those that are imbued with the Holy Spirit as found in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that mark those that are of the good soil, that are the good Heart. These are the things that you'll see as evidence of their lights. This is the fruit of their life. It's a hundredfold. The person who becomes spiritually productive through hearing God's word has the following characteristics. They understand and we understand what we hear. He endures through difficulties. There may be struggles and there may be times when they're asking, where is God? We talked about this morning in our adult core class. But yet and eventually we find him. He is spiritually minded instead of worldly minded. He is a spiritually productive person who understands and persists in the biblical truths that he learns from scripture, no matter what the cost. By God's grace, these biblical truths have altered his thought life, resulting in substantial changes in his behavior. He refuses to allow the world to define his priorities. He is being transformed by the word of God. He has taken to heart the instructions of the Apostle Paul that is found in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed. By the way, write this down if you're taking notes. Romans 12 too and go to it later. This is another verse you should memorize along with verse 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You need to understand that your mind must be changed. The expectation is that they will bear fruit and bear fruit abundantly. A healthy tree has much fruit, not just a tad of fruit, a little bit of fruit. With their lives marking the genuineness of their faith, as we read in John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is the proof in your pudding? In what way are you bearing fruits? And let me tell you, you look into the, in the middle of the night, you look into the mirror, you'll be a lot more honest with yourself. If you want to know if you're a productive, genuine Christian, then ask your spouse, your children, others. Do they see Jesus in you? Do they see that you're living for the glory of God and for the love of others? But know what Jesus says in verse 15 of Luke 8. Go back there to Luke 8 and look at verse 15. As for that, as for that in the good soil, going back to the good soil. They are those who hearing the word, now get ready to underline, hold it fast. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, whatever way you're doing it. Hold it fast. They do not let it go. Now, what is it talking about taking their Bible and all they do is carry it around and you can't pry it out of their fingers? No, we're talking about the truths, the promises. The warnings, the spirituality things there, they hold it fast. They, they have a faith in it, in an honest and good heart. And look at here, and bear fruit, underline this, this next one, with patience, that prepositional phrase. They hold it fast with patience. In other words, they don't let go when things get difficult. They do not let go because the cares of this world are more important. Some of us need to look and say, we need to cut our hours. 
Maybe I need to make less money. Maybe I, I won't have the best car or the best house. Because I need to see not just what's good for my family, but what's good for God. Because let me tell you, what's good for God will be good for your family. Trusting that God will supply all your riches. Hence why we say we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because God says he will give us all that we need if we hold it fast with patience. Thank you. The proof of their faith is holding fast with patience. Pastor John MacArthur notes this. Please look at this. You may even want to write it down and hold it up just for a moment. He wisely says this perseverance with fruit is the necessary sign of a genuine saving trust in Christ. The mark of authentic faith is endurance. That's what he's teaching us in James. That's what he's teaching us in the letters of Peter. Is you and I must endure with patience. So what type of soil are you? How have you, how have you responded to the gospel? Are you holding it fast with patience? I pray that your heart is found to be the good soil. I pray that you're reading to receive the word of God gladly, anticipating the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, yielding to it, going forth to it, and making us more like Jesus in your actions and attitudes. If not, then I pray that you'd come and understand that that is the genuine fruit of it. Waiting for that day when Jesus will return and deliver us from the presence of sin and usher in the earthly kingdom. That is the soil, the heart that produces fruit. The truth found in this parable also informs us as summarized in the study Bible that the good news of the gospel, here's the thing, look at it. As you look at those four soils, this is something that you and mine must understand is that the good news of the gospel will be rejected by most people. So let's not be surprised. These four examples in this parable are not four different types of Christian. Only one is a genuine Christian. The other two may profess that they are, but their actions, their fruit will be shown to be rotten. The first makes no declaration. Their heart is hardened. They could care less. Which soil, which heart is yours? You see, spiritual progress depends on life, on the life of the seed and the preparation of the soil, not in the farmer. It's not in the efforts of the farmer. The Apostle Paul encourages the church of Corinth and Philippi in their evangelistic and discipleship endeavors. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants, neither is he who waters, but it's only God who gives the growth. And so I'm sharing this is that you and I need to be evangelistic. We need to sow the seed no matter where we are. And it's not our expectation of what will happen, but we trust that God will use it, that God's word will never return void, as it says in scripture. So many times we, we don't want to share the gospel because we don't know how it will be received. Well, fear not. Don't worry about that. That is not your responsibility. In Philippians, he tells us, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is it my presence, but much more, man, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is the Christian who may be struggling in times of suffering. And that might be that person that is struggling with the cares of the world. You as I, as Christians, we must go and help prepare that soil, bringing that Christian along that profession of faith to see if it's true or genuine. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me bring you to our application. Where do we go with this? Number one, you and I need to share the gospel without discrimination. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You and I need to share the gospel with others without discrimination. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission is given to all believers. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. We are to hold fast with patience. And in that we're to share the gospel without discrimination. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I hope you're there, and it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, 
If they cannot see it, if they cannot understand it, it is only veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you and I, we should not worry so much about the method of how we share the gospel. I think, you know, one person went to, remember there's a story, someone went to um, Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, and she says, I don't like how you evangelize. He goes, well, okay, well, how do you evangelize? She goes, well, I don't. He says, well, I think I like my way much better than yours. We must trust in God. But look at it goes on in verse, uh, verse 5 there. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. We need to remember that. But Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Point them to Jesus. That is the work that you and I are called to do. Number two, not only should we uh, share the gospel, evangelize without discrimination, but we need to preserve, or persevere, I should say, persevere in living out our faith. We need to persevere. Look at the monitor. There's Colossians. Paul encourages the Christians. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. And I pray that that's said of OVBC. That the word of truth, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing within our small community. So as to walk in a manner, he says, or as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me share with you, that is why we have the wise men of ale. It's why we have small groups. It's why we have the adult core class. It's why we have the ladies retreats. It's why we have the ladies tree, the men's breakfast. It's so that we can learn to walk in a manner that is fitting to God. And you may say, well, I can just miss that event. But let me tell you, those are purposely set so that we may get in together and walk together and evaluate each other. And someone says, man, I'm struggling with suffering. That we help that brother through that. They may not fall away. That person struggling, I'm struggling with worldly things or we see that their life is out of balance. That we as men or the ladies can come in and say, but let me help you through that. Let me show you how you can hold fast so that they may not fall away. I pray that we do not have any Demases here this morning in our congregation. I fear that we may have some that have not yet joined us. And we encourage them. Let us remember that God has called us to go out into the byways, the highways, to bring them back. Number three, pray for open hearts. You need to pray for an open heart, yours. You need to pray for your family, for your friends. Pray for open hearts that they will understand what, and understand what you hear and read yourself that you'll endure through difficulties, that you'll be spiritually minded instead of worldly minded, and that your heart will persist in biblical truths that you learn from Scripture. What type of heart do you have this morning? I pray that you are the good soil. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling with the cares of this world or you're struggling with persecution, suffering, and you feel like you're getting ready to pull the parachute, you're getting ready to bail, you're ready to hit the injection sheet. You're considering not coming again. Would you reach out to the elders? Would you reach out to one of us? Let us hold fast to you and walk with you. Do not give up. Prove the genuineness of your confession of faith. But if you're here this morning or if you're watching me in some way, whether Facebook or through our website, and you're hearing what I'm saying and your mind is distracted. Maybe you're offended by what I've said. I pray that there would be one part of you in that hardened heart that you may say, Father, open my eyes. 
that he may share with you the fullness of his glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ and that he will bring you into the family of God. If you have questions of how to do that, would you call us, email us, email us. We want to share you how you true can become a son of God. Let me end by this, and this is the end. What is the gospel? What is it to share? What is the good news? What is the seed? It's very simple right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21. Write this very quickly in your Bible so you can underline it later. All this is from God. Here's the seed that's going to be in your hand that you're sowing. This is what you're doing. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus takes that bag of seed and he gives it to you. And in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, now we are ambassadors. We can say we're farmers for Christ. God is making his appeal to others through us. We implore you, here's the seed, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what you're doing when you're sowing seed. Hey, would you be reconciled to God? Well, who's God? Well, let me share with you. Throw a little bit more seed on there. Maybe it takes someone else and say, hey, I, I share with this. I don't know the answer to this question. Can you come and water this seed? God will give the growth. And may we pray that God will give the growth, not only to those that we love and care about, but also in our own hearts and our own community. Every head bow, every eyes closed as the worship team comes up. As Landon, please make his way forward. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Thank you. I'm so, uh, we are going to be doing communion here in a moment. So Landon, why don't you come on up. With every head bowed, just for a moment and eyes closed, I just want you to pause for a moment and consider what type of heart you have. Are you receiving the things of God? Maybe even today as you listen and read scripture, it's falling on, on dead soil. Maybe it's not regenerated yet. Make that cry, Lord, I want to understand. For others, one just struggle, the cares of the world, suffering, you're, you're let us know. Let's trust God. For those of you who made a profession of faith, you've heard the word of God. You've seen that genuineness. It's producing fruit maybe not as much as you'd like, then pray, Lord, help me to grow more fruit. Here's the thing. Hold fast to the word of God with patience. He will see you through. Landon? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever-present in your life.